Amen. Good, encouraging word to us. Trust the Lord. Uh, Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. All of those of you who have been able to gather here in the sanctuary and those that are joining us online, we're grateful that you're all with us today. Uh, Before I begin, let me just mention one brief uh, note of announcement. Um, There was a key found out in the parking lot this week. So if you have lost the key, would you perhaps let me know and I'll make sure that you get it, okay? Uh, It could be important, I don't know, or it could be just one of your kids' playthings, but I wanted to make sure. So, Um, Last week we looked at the truth that even though you're a Christian, even though you're saved and filled with the Spirit, there can still be areas of your life in which the enemy is still influencing you and keeping you in bondage to some extent. We also saw the better side of that truth, which is that Jesus Christ has the power not only to save, but to set us free and to make us free indeed. But this morning, I want to look at the other side of that coin. I want to look at the truth that though we can have the light of Jesus Christ shine in our prison, showing us the way out, we have to make our own personal decision to get up and to walk out of that prison. We have to. And so, I think all too often, as is true even in prison life in reality, People can become so accustomed to their prison style of life and the comfort, the convenience, and the familiarity of it that people actually make the decision to stay in prison. There are people who are arrested here locally and have been arrested many, many times. And they will tell you, I find life more familiar and comfortable for me in prison than I do on the outside. And I think it's true for many of us spiritually. Rather than, as was said here prophetically, and rather than step out of the boat, we'd rather stay where it's comfortable, convenient, where we're familiar, where we feel confident in ourselves. And because of that, we're tempted to tolerate the continuing work of the enemy in our lives. Would you open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have Bibles, the Scripture will be on the screen in front of you. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. And it says this in verse 19 of 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. This morning, I want to look at a specific truth, and it's this that every one of us here at this stage of our lives, if we are a believer, came to the point in time where we realized that we were locked in a prison called sin and death. 
And one day Jesus came and He rescued us. But if you've walked with Jesus any length of time at all, you will realize, you will admit and confess that sometimes we carry some of our old prison way of thinking with us into this new way of life. It, it's kind of like the old proverb. You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Well, in the same way, some of us have carried some of that stuff, some of the prison way of thinking with us into our new life of freedom. Jesus comes to set us free. And even here, the enemy seeks to twist the goodness of God. And he will say to us, God loves you just the way you are. You don't need to change. But that goes contrary to the Word of God, which declares to us, God's will is your sanctification. Sanctification. Now, if there's ever a word that many believers dislike, it's that word. We, we kind of think of the word sanctification like going to the dentist or going to the mechanic. It's going to hurt, but you got to do it. And that's kind of how we approach it. We approach it like God is wanting to take away from us all of those things that bring us such joy, things that we love, like hot chocolate chip cookies. Somebody drew a picture of me last week wearing a mask, and on the front of my mask were all kinds of chocolate chip cookies because I don't know where they got the idea that I like them, but they're right. God wants to take away my Diet Coke and my coffee. And that's how we look at sanctification. But I think sanctification is better understood as God wants to remove that tumor that's on your brain, and He knows that it's going to hurt in the process, but if He doesn't do it, it's going to kill you. That's a better picture of sanctification. I think of sanctification a little bit like the Titanic. In April of 1912, the HMS Titanic uh, sailed. By the way, that was the largest ship of its day. It was three football fields long, and it was 12 stories high. But on that day, it sailed from Southampton, England, and about midnight, it struck a large iceberg, and it sunk two and a half miles to the North Atlantic Ocean floor. It remained hidden there until September 1st, 1985, when it was discovered. And finally, about 11 years later, they began to raise the Titanic. But my point is this. When they raised the Titanic, it was still covered with all the accumulated silt and rust from its watery grave. It looked a lot like this picture here. I mean, it looked bad. It looked old and rusty. Well, I want to suggest to you that when God raises us from the pit of sin, we are raised and many of us are covered with all kinds of gunk in our lives from the old way that we used to live. We still are dirty. We still need cleaning. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus came out of the grave covered still with the grave clothes, but also covered with the stench of death. And all of that stuff had to be taken off of him. Every one of us need to be not only lifted, we need to be refitted to the Master's purposes. And that process is called sanctification. Last week we looked at the spirit of affliction and how God wants to leave us in our pain, in our discomfort, even in our sickness at times. He wants to leave us there so that we never grow beyond that point. 
Well, in the same way, I want to talk to you today about the spirit of confusion, where God comes and He wants to muddle our thinking and to believe that we can never be put back together. We're like Humpty Dumpty. We've fallen off the wall and we're broken in pieces and it will never get any better. In fact, for some of you, you're here today, even hearing what was said prophetically during worship, and you feel like you're stuck in the boat. And though you've tried to get out, every time you tried to get out, you sunk. But God's still calling you to believe Him and to take a step of faith. Look back at the Scripture in verse 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... Now, I am sure that there's not a person here who doesn't realize if you're a Christian who doesn't realize that we can't get saved all on our own. That we need the power and the help of Jesus Christ. That salvation is found only in the work of Jesus and our faith in His finished work. You can't do it yourself. Uh, we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should be able to boast. You can't get saved on your own. Jesus Christ has to intervene and to save you, to draw you out of a prison called sin and death. In terms of our position in God, we can't do it ourselves. Only God can do it. But what about the ongoing process of growth? Here it says, cleanses himself. Cleanses himself. In other words, you do it yourself. It's talking about people like you and like I who have come to Christ and God now comes to us and says, now that you have been taken out of prison, will you make some decisions? Will you make some choices to let me come in and to clean you up and to change your life from the inside out? In other words, God's saying, I want you to participate in the growth process. I want this to be your choice. I'm not going to do it to you. I can help you. I will walk with you through this, but I can't do this unless you, yourself, make the choice to grow up, to get farther in God. And that's what this Scripture is about. A man who chooses to cleanse himself with the help of God. And it, it lines up with Philippians 2.12 where Paul says, we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you get saved on your own. It means you make choices to let that salvation process continue to work in your own soul. Now, in order to do this, to understand this principle, there are some dangers I want you to get. There are dangers to understanding what it means to cleanse yourself. The first danger is the possibility of what I call self-reliance or independence. It's where you think that you can suppose that you can do this all on your own. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to change. And if you've lived life any length of time at all, you will know that that kind of mindset's like trying to lose weight on your own. You think, I'm going to just start today and I'm going to lose the weight tomorrow. No, it's a process. And you need people alongside of you who help you, who encourage you. There's nothing worse than making the decision to change, but continuing to hang out with people who don't want you to change and continue to press things the opposite way. Self-reliance. Just as with salvation, we need His help. So, with sanctification, we need His help. How many of you have, as parents, ever tried 
to remove a sliver from your kid's hands. I, I mean, I can remember specifically uh, at various times trying to take a little needle, and all we're doing is we're just poking away the skin just a little bit. We're not even going that deep. But you would think that little two-year-old, that weak, sweet little child turned into the Hulk. I mean, those kids are strong. Have you ever had a kid fight you, even to wash their face? I mean, it's like you have opened up a, a monster. Well, in the same way, I think sometimes in this process called sanctification, we're like that with God. We fight it tooth and nail. Every step of the way, we're resisting it. And God is merely saying to us, will you, and I want you to hear this, will you make choices? Will you make decisions to allow Him to come in and to cause you to become righteous and holy like He created you to be. An example would be this. Uh, say you've had a problem with alcoholism. I grew up in an alcoholic home. But say you had problems with alcoholism, and God comes in and He saves you. He saves you. He delivers you from that. He takes you out of that prison of alcoholism. He brings you into life abundant. But you begin to realize you still have some of those same desires that keep cropping up inside of your own soul. And God comes along and He says, I can help you. I can actually cleanse you of this. I can deliver you of this if you will make some choices. Those choices might mean that you can't hang out with the same people that you used to hang out with. You can't hang out with people who are drinking. You can't go to dinner with people who say, I'm free to drink even if you're not. You have to stop hanging out with certain people, even for evangelism purposes. You have to watch who you hang out with. Or maybe God comes and says, you can't drive home the same way anymore because that way home takes you past the same bars you used to drink at all the time. And that's creating desire in you. God's saying to you, are you willing to make choices to want to be holy. You can't do it on your own. He has to do it. But you have to be willing to make those choices to not hang around people who drink anymore. Not hang around your old friends. And not go past those same places anymore. You come to a place where you said, Jesus, would you be my Savior? Now you come to a place where you have to be willing to say, Jesus, be my sanctifier. Is that in your heart? Is in your heart the desire to grow, to be more like Jesus? It might be good for you, even today, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my sanctifier, not just my Savior. I want you to change me. Some old habits, some old patterns continue to crop up in your soul. And you say, Jesus, I don't want to stay the same. I want to grow. I want to become more like you. The second danger, the first danger was self-reliance. The second danger is most often called legalism. Uh, it, it's kind of like this. Um, let's just say I've been walking with Jesus for a while and he comes and he makes it clear to me that there are some things that I am doing that are just not healthy for me. They're not conducive to growth. And so he comes in and he encourages me to change. And maybe it's a type of entertainment. Maybe it's the people and places that I have been frequenting. Maybe it's even forms of speech. And again, I'm not talking about blasphemy. I'm not talking about profanity. We know that's wrong. 
I'm talking about things that maybe you just say things that you shouldn't say. And over the years, I've had several people challenge me about things I've said. You know, like talking about the way I used to be as if I still am. And they say, you're not there anymore. You need to change how you speak. And maybe God comes and He speaks that to my heart. He says, there's some things. Maybe for you it's coarse speech, joking that's inappropriate, whatever it might be. God comes and He says, those things need to change. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear, those things don't please God and they don't help me. So I agree with God. I make choices, conscious choices to change. And by His grace, things begin to change. And that's working well with me. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the help of God to change me. But then, I look over at um, Dell, And I see Dell doing some of the same stuff, saying some of the same kind of stuff that I used to say, that now God has helped me with. And so I go to Dell and I say to Dell, Dell, I've noticed this stuff in your life. I notice you continue to do this. And I want to say to you, that's not a good way to live. God has better things for you. And what I have just done is I have taken something God has convicted me about, me, and I have put it on Dell. And I don't have that authority or right. Now, maybe Dell had come to me and said, Pastor, if you see things in my life that aren't best for me, maybe I'm doing, maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm saying, if you see things, would you come and tell me? Because I want to grow and I want your help. Then in that case, I might have gone to Dell and said, Dell, I've noticed some things that you're doing, and I just want to offer this open-handedly. I want you to pray about it. I want you to ask God, is God speaking this to you, not just me? Because I can notice things. Do you know I have lived long enough with God to know there are things that God deals with in people's lives at different times? And even though you and I can see what they need to change, maybe God's not putting His finger on that right now. Maybe He's doing something completely different that you and I know nothing about. We can't impose that upon them. And maybe if I see things in Dell's life, the best thing I should do is just pray for Dell. And I don't mean pray, God, I pray that you would give Dell half a brain so that he could be as smart as me. That's not what I'm talking about. It's God, this is a man who is loved by you. I see some things in his life and I don't know, but maybe, God, in your timing, you're going to help him with it. I just pray and I bless your work in his life instead of judging him for it. Um, Years ago, Paul Johansson, uh, who was uh, one of the leaders at Elam, handed out a little tract at Elam called Others May, But You Cannot. And it was predicated upon the conversation that Jesus had with Peter just before his ascension. Remember, he had just told Peter that he was going to experience some really hard things in his life. And Peter looks around and he sees John the Apostle sitting over there. And he turns to Jesus and said, Okay, fine, I'm going to go through hard things. What about him? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, what's that to you? In other words, mind your own business. You let me take care of you and you leave John to me. In other words, how God deals with you might not be how He deals with someone else. And what God has put upon you might not be what He has put upon others. You concern yourself with you and what he's saying to you. Now, this tendency towards legalism can be even worse. Um, and again, I don't know what examples to use, but I'll make one up. Let's say um, 
Let's say I have begun to walk in freedom and I no longer have to wear ties. I feel free. Jesus has given me freedom about ties. I feel good about it. I begin to walk in my freedom and I feel so good about it, I'm almost proud about the fact I don't have to wear ties anymore. Maybe you do. Maybe Frank does. Because he's of the older generation and, you know, the older generation, they still got to dress up for church and I'm younger. I don't got to dress up for church. I can wear sneaks to church now. So I'm free from ties. And God comes and convicts me and He says, you're, you're becoming pretty proud and arrogant about this freedom. It's no longer freedom. It's license for you. And I thought, oh Lord Jesus, I don't want that. So He says, I think you ought to start wearing ties. God, you gave me freedom from ties. I don't want to wear ties. But all right, I'll wear a tie. So I go out and I buy me a bunch of those uh, string ties, what are they called? Bolos. So God, if I'm going to have to wear a tie, it's going to be the thinnest tie in the world. And God says, that's still not the right attitude. And so I begin to wear the widest tie I can find and say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what it costs. I don't care. I'll wear a tie anytime you want me. I'm going to wear this honking big tie. And I begin to walk in that for a while, and I begin to experience a sense of renewed freedom and relationship with God like I've never had. And it begins to show itself to people until Josh comes and he says to me, you need to tell me, what has God done in you? And so I tell Josh about my experience with wide ties. And Josh says, I like what God's done in you. I'm going to start wearing wide ties. And pretty soon we gather together and we form a group called Blessed Be the Tie That Binds Church. <laughs> and others see, others see the blessing of it all and they join us and pretty soon Josh and I have started a new denomination. That's called legalism. And we have to be careful of legalism. When God comes to cleanse us and He says cleanse us Himself, cleanse yourself, that's not something we have to put upon others. That's something that God wants. Maybe during this whole time of pandemic, God has spoken some things to you, which I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that God would continue to speak to your hearts, give you a sense of clarity. But we cannot impose what God speaks to us upon others. It's what God is dealing with in our own lives. When you begin to demand it of others, it's legalism. And I know that those kinds of things, uh, those behaviors, those attitudes, those things can be difficult. And, and I'm not talking about behaviors and attitudes that are obviously destructive to the body. I'm talking about things that God is dealing with in your own life. Hopefully God has spoken to you, and hopefully God is dealing with stuff in your own heart and life. But let's let God deal with you, and let God deal with the others in His time, in His own way. Sanctification holds those dangers. The dangers that... We begin to think that we can do it in our own strength. And then secondly, the danger that we think we can impose it upon others. And I didn't mention this, but I suppose there's the danger of apathy where um, there are people, I can't imagine too many here, just because of, we, we are passionate about this. But there could be people who just say, I don't care to grow. As long as I go to heaven, that's all I cared about. That's another danger to this whole idea. Now, I want you to see a couple of things from this passage. Uh, look back at it in verse 19. Our pursuit of sanctification, really, if you boil it down, is Christ-likeness. It's not perfectionism. It's letting us become more and more like Jesus. In verse 19, it says, 
Nevertheless, the foundation, the solid foundation of God stands. And when it talks about foundation, that word in the Greek talks about the foundation of the temple. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that you and I individually and corporately are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he's talking about the temple, the foundation, he's talking about us. The work of God in us. And he says that foundational work has two statements written upon the foundation or two inscriptions. Uh, if you go to some stores or even like to the uh, county buildings downtown, they might have a, a big cornerstone and written on it are inscriptions, different things. I, I walk by the post office often on my walks and I see that there's an inscription of when it was made and who was the postmaster at the time, those kind of things. And here God is saying, on the foundation of your life, there are two inscriptions. The first is this. The Lord knows those who are His. What's, what's that about? Well, let me give you a couple of other scriptures to help you with that. Revelation 3.12 says this. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Turn back one chapter, Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. I want you to see three significant things that I believe God is saying to us out of that first inscription. The first is, God writes his name on your life, which speaks about God's ownership. You are his. You belong to God. Let that just sink in for a second. You are no longer your own. Your life is not your own. As a believer, you belong to God. Solomon, that wise man, said, I am my beloved's and he is mine. You belong to God. The second thing he speaks of beyond ownership is the issue of destiny. He speaks of your destination that you're bound for heaven. There's been a lot of talk lately about the U.S. Postal Service and whether we can trust it to get the ballots out and get them received in time and all that kind of stuff. I want to suggest to you that when God stamps an address upon your life, you're going to arrive safe and sound and in time. You don't have to worry about where you're going. God has established your destination, your destiny. And the third thing, it says, He writes on you a new name, which speaks to your identity. And I know it would be possible somebody could get weird and run out and try to figure out what their new name is and start a cult over it. But that's not what God's talking about. You won't know your new name till heaven. But what it's speaking about is who you really are inside in God, not how you're known by those around you. The enemy knows my name, Chris. And he knows a lot of things he can accuse me of, things I have failed in over my life. But what the enemy doesn't know, because no one knows it is my new name. That's who I really am and how God sees me. That's what He declares over you. He declares ownership, destiny, and identity. But then, the second inscription says this, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, He's saying, having been loved with so great a love and having been destined to so great a destiny, we're also called to a life of holiness. You make the decision to set aside from any of those things that would obstruct 
your destiny in God. Um, he says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Iniquity is the residue left over after transgression. It's what's left over after transgression. Transgression is to go over the line, literally. It means to step over the line into the forbidden. And the only way I can think of this is something God gave me some years ago. Let's say God drew a line right here. And God said to me, don't go beyond this line. Beyond here, here there be dragons. Remember the old maps? When they didn't know something that was beyond it, they would draw a line and say, here there be dragons. God says, here there be dragons. This is dangerous. Don't go beyond this. Others who were older than I in the Gospel looked at that line and said, Chris, don't go beyond that line. It's bad. It's dangerous. It could, it could jeopardize your very soul. And so I stepped back and I said, I don't want to go over that line. Not me. Uh-uh. And so I look at that line regularly and I say, nope, not me. Uh-uh. But as time goes on, I look at that line more and more and I say, oh, that doesn't look quite so bad. It doesn't look all that dangerous. And finally one day, I take a step over the line. And another step, because it didn't seem that bad to me. And then another step. And suddenly I find myself up to my neck in swamp water. I am stuck in a pit. It's dangerous. I don't know how I'm going to extricate myself. And Jesus comes and He lifts me out of the pit just like He did you. He brings me out of the pit and I am now free from the pit. Hallelujah! But stuck to me is all the gunk of the swamp and all the stench of swamp water. All of that stuck to me. And He comes and He says to me, I want to clean you up from the iniquity, that gunk, is the iniquity. I want to take off of you the old smell. The old way of thinking. All of the junk that stuck to you when you were in the swamp. And God is speaking to us today about the residue of sin in our lives that He wants to set us free from. This morning, I want you to see that He has rescued us. We are saved. We are saved, saved if we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But He now calls us to make choices to align ourselves with what He says is best for our lives. We don't have the power to do it ourselves. But if we say yes to Him, He has the power to do it in us. And there might be somebody here who says, do you mean, Pastor, that God's changing my, my standards? Is He changing my expectations? And my answer is, yes, He is. I expect far less of Jillian at how old is Jillian? Five? Five years old. I expect far less of Jillian at five years old than I would expect of Jocelyn at 13. Isn't that, wouldn't you expect that? You wouldn't expect somebody at 13 to act the same way a five-year-old does. And when they do, you challenge them to act their age. Well, God's doing the same thing to us. God says, as you walk with me, I want you to become more and more like me. So in a way, God is changing the expectations He has for us. That we would become more and more like Him. The issue is not whether you're going to go to heaven or not. The issue is whether or not you're willing to become a larger channel for heaven to flow through. Are you willing to become cleaner inside? And then the last portion we read says that in that temple there are vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay. In the temple, there are vessels of gold and silver for their worship. But there are also vessels of wood and clay for 
cleaning up the area, mopping floors. And what God is saying here is that these vessels, though all still in the house, have not all gone through the refining process. They've not all been cleansed for the work of God. And if you stop there, you could end up feeling almost fatalistic, like, then it can never get any better than this. I can can never be more than what I am. I'm always going to be a vessel of wood or clay. But that's not what he says. He says, if you're willing for that process of cleansing to go on, you will become, it says, you will become a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every work. Nobody, nobody is predestined to dishonor. And I want you to hear this phrase. I worded it as carefully as I could, but I want to read it to you. You have a choice of your place in the house by whether you're willingly and cheerfully submitting to the Master's refining process that you might be a vessel of honor and not dishonor. You have that choice. You don't have to stay a vessel of dishonor. I'm not saying you can choose to do whatever you want in the house of God. I'm saying you have a choice to be used of God and not just cleaning vessels. You can be used for the gifts of the Spirit. You can be used for the ministry that God has called all of us to. You were created to be a cold, golden candlestick lighting a dark world. You're created to be a, a silver cup filled with the new wine of His presence. You're created to be a, a platinum platter upon which the bread of heaven feeds a hungry world. You don't have to stay. You have a choice of where you stand in the household of God. And my question is, do you want to be a vessel of gold and silver or do you just not care and want to stay wood and clay? I'm in the house. That's all I care about. As long as I get to heaven. Or do you want to grow and become more and more like Jesus? A larger and purer vessel for Him to pour His life through. And here was my point. Don't allow the enemy to so confuse and muddle your thinking that you believe that you have to stay the way you are. You don't. You can change just like anyone else. Would you stand with me? Towards the end of the Gospels, Jesus partook in what was called now the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, after they had partook together, Jesus took a towel and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. But when he came to Peter, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter's response was, then Lord, wash all of me. And I'm wondering, could that be our response today to the Lord? Just say, God, wash all of me. Attitudes I have, mindsets I have. Maybe it's stuff inside that's lodged in there of offense, of bitterness, of anger towards people. Or maybe even towards God. Are there things about your lifestyle that God wants to challenge you to change? That you don't live the same way anymore. You're now His and He is yours. And with that in mind, you can't live the same old way. You can't talk the same old way. Everything about you should change. And people should see that difference. Can you just say with Peter, Lord, wash all of me. I want to be more like you. Would you just bow your heads? And maybe just quietly to yourself say, Lord, wash all of me. Cleanse me. David said, cleanse me. And the word that's used in the King James is truly. 
In other words, I want it from the front to the back, from the top to the bottom, and I want it thorough. And he made up a word, truly. God, wash me truly. I don't want to be the same kind of husband. I don't want to be the same kind of wife, same kind of man or woman. I want to change. I don't want to have to keep going around this mountain again and again. I want to enter into the land you have for me. If that's your heart, just say it to God. Say, God, I don't have the power to change. I've tried again and again, but I want to change. I want to. And he will meet you there. In your wanting, he will meet you to set you free and to wash you from the stench of iniquity. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I stand with my friends here. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to stay the same. I want to change. And things that you speak into the depths of my heart, even as you do for my friends here, Lord, I want to readily embrace those things. And though they might be difficult, they might even be painful at times, Lord, I would rather have that than to live the same old way, doing the same old thing again and again. I want to become more like you, Jesus, in how I speak, in how I think, in how I see things in my heart, because it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life and death. So Jesus, I want to become more like you. And I pray that for my friends as well. That they would not only be open and willing, they would be desirous of that in their own lives. And we know, God, that it's all of your grace, it's all of your power. And we readily receive that today. Let your blessing for growth and change be upon each one. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Pray God's blessing upon you. I'm going to ask that you would stay in your seats until the ushers come and dismiss you by row so that we can do it as safely as possible. And if you have offerings you want to give, we have boxes at each door. And as you go out the main doors, you can give your offering, your tithes there. Okay? God bless you. If you could just wait for the ushers to come.